story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. It's approximately 4 o'clock and this is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Coming up on the show, we're going to be speaking pretty soon with Lydia Thorpe, who is the Northcote Greens... MP, I believe, and and a great activist as well. And we're going to be speaking with her about treaty and we'll be speaking to her about an event that's coming up in East Melbourne next Monday and the Treaty Advancement Commission is hosting a treaty forum open to Aboriginal elders. And there's a quote here, we need to hear from elders about their thoughts on treaty or treaties and how they can best be involved in the process going forward. So the Treaty Advancement Commissioner, Jill. So I'll speak to Lydia pretty soon and she's she'd be best placed to talk about this topic and I'll talk to her about what's happening and we'll, we'll um, advertise the event. We did speak to Lydia some months ago now about um, some, cons- well, some so-called consultations that actually happened in Victoria, not just in regards to treaty but many other issues and how um, it was very difficult for the elders to participate and government didn't really consult with them properly. So I'm hoping that this is, this is better. So I'm going to find out more about that in a second. And then later on we're going to be speaking with Ian from the Refugee Coalition in New South Wales, in Sydney, and we're going to be getting an update on asylum seekers and refugees. And it's, there's going to be a continuation of the discussion from last week to what's happening, the atrocities and the violations of human rights that are happening with asylum seekers and refugees. And Ian has just put out a press release about um, the medical needs and health issues surrounding people on Nauru and other concentration camps. I mean, I mean, oh, uh, detention centres. Hello, Lydia. Welcome to the program. Hello, Marissa. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you. And you, you would have heard the introduction? I did. I did. And it's, um, yeah, I, I, I just hate being the bearer of bad news. Yeah? Um, Let's talk yeah, about that. Your introduction was, yeah, I just feel like I'm being negative about the process. Not at all. Not at so all. It's the reality. So. Well, it's about being a realist. It's not, it's... I wouldn't call it negative. It's more being being. Let's talk about it. Talk, talk yep, to me. Let's. <laughs> okay. I'm, so perhaps I came across as a bit sarcastic on air, Lydia. No, look, it's been a um, an interesting process and one that you know that we all got very excited about from the absolute beginning. Um, we had a lot of people on board feeling quite hopeful about a treaty and about the end of, of the war, um, the end to our suffering as 
as first people in this country. But, um, you know, it's been really disappointing to see how the process has been ran and controlled. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's been a process that has, has gone from being, you know, being right out there and really exciting to one that's quite disappointing and disheartening. So in terms of where it's at at the moment, um, I attended an elders gathering um, to talk about a preferred model of the representative body um, going into these treaty discussions. Uh, The government has a, you know, has a preferred model, um, which is being seen through the Treaty Commission work, and it's looking like a um, an Aboriginal role will be set up, and anybody who identifies themselves as being Aboriginal can be put on that role to then vote on their preferred traditional owner to then sit on the representative body. Um, There's all sorts of problems with that. Um, That doesn't um, stop all of one mob from being on that body. It means that, you know, we could have 30 Gunditjmara people on there. We could have, you know, 50-50 of of two nations. Um, So I believe that it's not a proper process and that's something that was discussed at this elders gathering that I attended um, a week or two weeks ago in Thornbury and that was to to look at you know how can we be more representative through this model and one of the um, ideas or the preferred model going forward is that it needs to have two representatives from each of the 38 language groups that cover this state. And that could be to ensure gender balance, but at the very least, you have the 38 representatives, the 38 language groups represented as the model for treaties, as, sorry, as a representative body hmm. to then set up the framework for treaties. So... So you've talked about that and having having the thirty eight represented. So you're basically what you're saying is that th- that any elder can go in. So it's it's kind of scattered. Like there's there's no proper representation. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, they're, they're talking about regions and having a, a quota um, per region um, rather than a collective of. Rather than the thirty-eight language groups represented. Oh, and why is that? Uh, because one of the reasons that I've had um, given to me is that thirty-eight is too many, and that thirty is uh, more reasonable. To too many. Yes, but that's excluding some of the language groups. Absolutely. And I wouldn't like to be one of those language groups that, that is excluded through this process. And I oh. think that, you know, it's set up for fa- failure and it's also set up to be um, quite divisive for our people once again. And I hope that um, the Commissioner 
and the government actually take note and listen to the people and understand why it is important to have, at the very least, 38 language groups of this state as the representatives to set up the framework. Now, as, as part of this, there is another element to this representative body. And yes, you know, it's great that the commissioners out there talking about an Elders Council. It's been quite a fight, mind you, to get the Elders Council even to to have a place in this discussion. It's something that both sides, the Labor and Liberal governments, voted down in the Chamber. They didn't want an Elders Council as part of the legislation. It's not something that the Minister of Aboriginal Affairs was willing to negotiate on. So it's great that it's there, but it is tacked on the end just to appease the elders, maybe. Um, but the the discussion that I was part a part of two weeks ago was that there needs to be a council of elders that sits on top of the representative body that has one representative from each of the surviving clans. Now, their role would be to guide and provide cultural authority to the representative body. They would only have to meet twice a year, but it would be twice a year that 100 elders come together to provide cultural guidance, cultural authority to a body that's about to go into a treaty negotiation, which I don't think is too much to ask. No. So So that's that's the alternative to what you will see or what you will hear about um, next Monday and Tuesday when the um, statewide elders gathering occurs and then the following day the statewide treaty meeting Okay. So I've seen some um, great um, paraphernalia out there about the whole um, treaty meetings and, and what they're looking to achieve. Um, but I think that they're going down the wrong path and that they need to ensure that, um, at, at, as I said, at the very least the 38 language groups are at the table and the Council of Sovereign Elders, original sovereign clan elders, provide that authority and that guidance. It sounds pretty paternalistic, I think, that there's Mm. got to be a way not to censor people's involvement, and perhaps that's a very strong word, but it sounds to me as though Um, the model was actually arranged without consultation from Aboriginal people? Well, they will say they've been doing a roadshow around the state um, and that's part of the discussion, but there's only one model being proposed throughout those consultations. There's not a couple of models. There's not this model being proposed. So when you've got a wet very well-funded process of a roadshow going around one preferred way to go forward, then people 
will go with that only model that, that they've been yeah. talked to about. But I think people need to look at this this alternative model. Yeah. They need to understand what that means. They need to understand what both models mean in terms of giving giving up our sovereignty or even negotiating our sovereignty. Everyone, every Aboriginal person in this country needs to understand what we're about to do here. And it's very important that we get it right from the absolute beginning. So this is the state government that's organising all this, correct? Uh, No, it's the Treaty Commission, which was set up by the state government. So it's funded by the state government. And the elders gathering and the statewide treaty meeting is something that I asked for as part of the negotiations to pass the bill. Okay, so what would be useful at this point, Lydia? We've talked about the the preferred model, but let's go back and maybe you could briefly just talk about what led up to the bill and and what's in it. So the the bill or the legislation um, is to set up a representative body the fr- which will um, set the framework for treaty. The legislation um, does not and would not include acknowledging First People's sovereignty in this country. The legislation also would not include elders an Elders' Council in the legislation. So they're the two pretty big things that does is not included in the, in the treaty legislation. Um, one of the things that we were able to get into the legislation, which wasn't there prior to the Greens having their say, was the word traditional owners. So the treaty, the, the bill only talked about Aboriginal Victorians, which I questioned and, and asked, well, what is that? And it was anybody who identified as an Aboriginal Victorian. And our argument was, well, no, this is a treaty and it has to be with traditional owners. So we won that argument and now that's in the legislation. Uh, we also won... Um, we, well, I don't know whether you call it a win, but we fought very hard to have the the declaration of the rights of Indigenous people in the legislation. It didn't make it into the legislation. It's in the preamble, so it's not as strong as it should be. Uh, but they weren't um, going to entertain it being in the legislation. Goodness. Um, I think that's something to you know, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why couldn't we have that as part of the legislation? Um, another thing was we won um, the... There's a treaty authority that sits to the side of the representative body and we called for that to be independent of any minister, regardless of who that is, and that needed to have full autonomy away from um, you know, a ministerial sign-off. So that was quite... And as part of the negotiations, I said, you know, you need to have a statewide meeting. We can't just do this isolated um, roadshows. 
you know, people want a statewide meeting to talk about this. The clans and nations have never come together to talk about this. So that's what next week is. And that wasn't done in consultation with the Greens. That was done, um, the Treaty Commission, or the Treaty Commission decided to do that um, themselves, which is fine as long as it's happening, but it yeah. is... Um, it's to the, the way that they've chosen it to be. So it's being held at the MCG. There's issues with that. The where? Um, it's being held at the MCG. Oh. Which, which ultimately, you know, is a Wurundjeri gathering place, so that could be a good thing. Um, but, you know, there have I've had a number of people call my office saying that it's not appropriate. I had, I've had a number of elders, in fact, 15 to 20 elders contact my office because they're not being supported by um, the the commission to even get to the elders meeting. So that's become a bit of an oh issue. Dear. And we're looking around to see if there's any funds to help get elders down from country areas to attend. Um so, yeah, there, there's problems, again, unfortunately. Um, and what do you do? I mean, you just got to keep the pressure on and and call it out, and hopefully they do the right thing. But Absolutely. But if they don't, you know, like it's, it's a process. The treaty won't... A treaty will not happen if we're going to continue to deny people their right to have a say. Absolutely. Lydia, I just want to check something here. So so the Elders Forum is on September the 24th, mm-hmm. which is a Monday, 9.30am yes. to 4pm. Pullman, yep. Pullman Hotel. On the, Pullman? Yeah, East Melbourne. East Melbourne? Yeah. Okay, yep. So that's not, that's not the one at the MCG, is it? No. Which, no. which is the one, the one at the MCG? MCG? following day so that's a statewide treaty meeting yep so they're having an elders meeting the day before yep the statewide treaty meeting right okay so a statewide elders meeting and then a statewide everybody else because it's really interesting like you're you're talking about like they're saying that the commissioner says that we need from, to hear from elders about their thoughts on treaty or treaties and how they can best be involved in the process going forward. Mm. So We're yeah. writing to the commissioner about the, the, the number of elders that are contacting my office. Good. So we're asking the commissioner to please assist these elders to be at that meeting and... So we're, we're hoping to get a response there. We're also um, letting the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs know that you know this is, this is happening. Maybe it's an oversight. So hopefully it can be rectified um, in time for those elders to attend. I really hope so, because, it, because what it sounds like to me, it sounds a little bit disorganised. Yeah, well, there's not really a lot of information about the agenda and what's happening on the day. There's no information about what a treaty is, what it could look like, what it could mean. Uh, so it's, a, you know, it's um, what do we, what do people do when they get there? Exactly. What you know, people need free, informed, prior consent 
that means you have to give people information, all all of the information that's available, all of the different um, models that are available, so people can decide for themselves. And I, I think yeah. if we don't have it, as I said, the 38 language group represented, then we're in trouble. I think so. Because and part of the process should be, yeah. you know, what if it's what if what if there are two other language groups that we didn't know about? We've been yeah. so smashed by colonisation and so, you know, oppressed for so long and had so much taken away from us. We may, through this process, establish that there are there is another language group out there. So we need to allow for that also. For sure. And in fact, also, treaty will mean different, will be different for each, you know, the word treaty will be different for each language group, perhaps. You Absolutely. Know, what do they want in the treaty? I mean, the word treaty is so broad, like, and there's so many different areas of of human rights that need to be looked at. Absolutely. I went. I was in the forest on the weekend, and I was with three language groups who weren't even aware of the mass destruction of logging on their country. How can we talk about a treaty? How can we even enter into a dialogue when those those language groups and those nations and clans are having their country? Destructed in a way that you know that there's, there's totems that will be extinct forever. Was that in Gippsland? Um, it's around Talangi. Yes, it's got Gipps, Gippsland. It covers Wurundjeri, Gunai, Kurnai, oh, yeah. and Tungurung country. They're still logging in Talangi. That'd be right. Well, it's only five MCGs per day being logged right now. Goodness. Last November, it was seven MCGs per day. It's gone down to five because they're running out of forest. Of course they are. And they're running out of possums, which is the totem of the Tangara. How can you how can you seriously talk about a treaty when you're doing that to yeah. a surviving group? By the time we get to even negotiate, they'll be that their totem will be wiped off the face of the earth. So yeah. if, if they're real, then we need to stop. We need to stop logging and we need to stop the sale of crown land, which is our land. I mean, it's all our land, but we'll take what's left. And public land until we sit down and negotiate. Well, that's exactly right. Moratorium on those two things. Moratorium, yeah, it's it's important, isn't it? It's, I mean, I think with with a treaty, we're probably running out of time now. But what what do you think treaty is? A treaty is an end to the war. It's an end of the war that's been that we've been subjected to for 230 years. We have never stopped resisting 
as first people of this country. So we want an end to the war. We want an end to this war on our people, which is locking us up, which is taking our children away, which is logging our forests, which is selling our land to private developers. It's all of that. And a treaty is not just good for, for first people of this land. A treaty is good for all people of this land. And that's what we need to, you know, everyone needs to get on board with. We want, what we want will preserve and protect all of our futures going forward. Let's hope that, you know, this process, anyway, the process is ongoing and I'm hoping that that can be improved as time goes on. Well, I'm living with hope. I'm not giving up. I'm, I'm putting my faith <laughs> into my, my ancestors and my old people and, and what we've got in front of us right now. And I'm just hoping that um, after next week that there'll be a clear pathway and, a, and a, you know, one that has integrity and one that is respectful of our, you know, our ancient practices. I hope so too, Lydia, and hopefully we can have you back um, for an update in, in the next month or so. Sure thing. Thanks so much. No worries, Marissa. Keep out the good work. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. And that was Lydia Thorpe, and she's the Greens MP for Northcote and indeed um, a, a very impressive activist and speaker, and we were talking about treaty and some of the processes that are happening and I think what was important was that we we got what often is not talked about in the mainstream media um, 3CR's doing time show is is more than that it looks at what's really happening you got to remember Nanox's a special day for us fellas that's a reminder who we are Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy NAIDOC! The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. Mr Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. 
And we're going to be speaking now with Ian from New South Wales, and he's from the Refugee Coalition. Hello, Ian. Welcome to the program. Hi, Yep. I never get that Thanks, right, sir. do I? Yeah, no, that was good. Is that right? Yeah, the Refugee, <laughs> refugee <laughs> Finally. Action Coalition, yep. That's it. Good. So, Ian, you know, we were speaking this morning off air um, about a recent press release that you put out um, about the health of refugees and asylum seekers. Can you talk about that? Yeah, no, no, sure. I've um, just you know, come back from uh, you know, visiting uh, some of the refugees in uh, Port Moresby and at the, the Granville Motel and uh, Pacific, uh, where, they're, where they're being kept by immigration. Uh, they've been sent there for medical attention, but many of them aren't getting it. So I visited some of them there. I went to the uh, Pacific International you know, Hospital to uh, look at the, some of the circumstances there and to make a bit more you know, inquiries. But What's very obvious, I mean, Nauru's had a lot of publicity, you know, over the last couple of weeks, the whole, you know, Kids Off Nauru, you know, campaign. There have been a number now, what is it, like 31, I think, uh, kids and families have actually bought, been brought from Nauru to Australia uh, because of legal action in the, you know, in the federal court. The federal court has made orders uh, to bring, you know, sick kids and families off, off Nauru to Australia to get medical care. Uh, in Australia that they haven't been getting and can't get, you know, on Nauru. But they're, they're very, very similar circumstances on, you know, on Manus uh, and in and in Port Moresby. People have been transferred to Port Moresby. Uh, some of them have been there for, well, one, one guy has been there for 17 months. Um, got no effective treatment. Uh, his, his condition is as bad as it was when he was sent there 17 months ago. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, this, this guy's actually attempted suicide as a, as a result of the fact that he has, can't get, you know, medical care, hasn't got the medical care that he needs uh, in, you know, in Port Moresby. Um, and then on top of that, uh, the actual the Pacific International Hotel, uh, Hospital has got no... Um, acute uh, psychiatric ward. It's, 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 it's ill-equipped to actually deal with the, you know, very severe, you know, mental health uh, distress that uh, the situation on Manus is actually creating. Um, but there are so many, um, you know, medical medical cases. Actually, people might know of the, you know, you know dear Somali guy who had a dislocated his knee playing soccer. Um, He's, uh, they drained his knee, but uh, now his knee's, you know, immovable and he's very worried now that uh, he's going to lose the movement in his leg, but he's got no more, no more treatment uh, in, in the last few weeks since he's first been transferred. So why, uh, so these people are in Nauru, right? They were in Nauru and these transferred people, to the hospital? Uh, they're in Manus Island, the ones that are in Port Moresby. So, uh, oh, Manus Island. The, yeah, now, now in Port Moresby, yeah. Okay, so the people from Manus Island are being transferred to the hospital in Port Moresby. Why are these people not being transferred to Australia for this treatment? Well, the Australian government has got a, a policy to put in, put in place um, perhaps two and a half years ago now where effectively border, well not effectively, border force overrules recommendations made by documents, doctors, whether that's on Nauru or Manus Island, but doctors offshore um, have made a number of recommendations, you know, that people can't get treatment you know, in, in Manus or Port Moresby or Nauru, they need to be transferred, you know, somewhere else, usually Australia, to get that treatment. But Border Force uh, has um, has vetoed, you know, those, those recommendations. So um, another case I saw, for example, in Port Moresby uh, was of a person who 
had got a letter in, in, in July 2017 from IHMS, the medical provider for the refugees, saying that um, that they uh, could not provide uh, the the surgery, the urgent surgery that was uh, needed by this particular uh, refugee, uh, and it could not be done done in PNG. Uh, the recommendation was to, to, from IHMS to Border Force um, that this person be transferred uh, to a place that they could get uh, the surgery. Uh, you know, that could that could rectify you know his uh, his problem he's still sitting there july 2017 uh, ihms made their recommendation to border force border forces has done nothing uh, for what is it now what's that 15 you know 16 16 months so we'll certainly be looking to actually try and get these cases to the federal court in the same way that lawyers have got the cases on the route to the federal court so these people are effectively being left there to die well, yeah. Well, some of them are. I mean, the, the mental the mental distress has created enormous uh, enormous problems for people, and they, uh, it's, it's difficult to describe. You know, the kind of the 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 consequences. People who have a, you know acute uh, psychiatric episodes in Port Moresby, some of them are simply being transferred back to Manus Island because uh, they haven't got the medical facilities in Port Moresby to actually deal with those uh, acute cases. We've seen got three instances of, of attempted suicide, you know, on Manus Island because Manus Island has got absolutely zero uh, places in which people's mental health can be you know cared for in in in, in any kind of way, and the result of Five years of uh, detention on on Manus Island. The fact that people with very serious debilitating diseases or other medical conditions actually sent to Port Moresby for medical treatment don't get it. Uh, then, you know, it's it's magnified and uh, you know and aggravated by the fact that they can't get you know treatment that they've been sent for from Manus Island uh, to uh, you know to Port Moresby. So we've got a very very serious situation um, you know in you know in Port Moresby. Um, the the government can't provide uh, the won't provide the medical help. Uh, they can provide the medical help, but they've got to get them off Port Moresby, off Manus Island uh, to Australia, where they can get that proper medical help. At the moment, the Border Force is refusing to do that. You know, that is absolutely appalling, Ian. Honestly, it's it's, it's appalling and a, and a national disgrace. It's a absolute heartbreaking situation. I think the more people, uh, said at the moment, a lot of publicity for the for the kids on the roo and the the, the uh, psychiatric damage that you know detention has done you know to you know to them. Um, we're hoping you know that we'll start to see more cases now that go to the federal court to actually start getting the you know the parents and the single men and the single women who you know are suffering just as badly uh, you know from. Both Nauru and uh, you know and Manus Island, but it's um, it is a it's beyond the disgrace. Uh, you know that that border force that they've they've transferred people to Manus Island illegally, unlawfully, according to you know to PNG law and the PNG uh, Supreme Court. They know they've got a duty of care. Uh, they know they can't care for them in uh, Port Moresby, uh, but they simply are you know refusing. I mean, it is just a such a bog basic you know denial of of you know of fundamental fundamental rights um i think it just it beggars belief that we've got a government that would allow someone uh to that they that they control that they hold 
uh, complete control of in, you know, in Port Moresby and not provide you know, basic medical care, surgery, uh, so in some cases that could, that could rectify you know, what is an extremely debilitating you know, condition uh, that, uh, you know, that people have suffered, not just the last five years on Manus Island. I mean, some people have brought um, you know, issues as a result of torture or of, uh, wounds from uh, civil war, from wars, from torture, political prisoners who have been tortured, um, but those problems have not you know, they've not attempted to rectify uh, those problems, even though uh, simple uh, medical procedures, uh, adequate, uh, you know, diagnostic abilities that are, that are available in Australia, not available in PNG, they, they could be provided. Um, it does it does beg a belief that the, the government won't do that. Absolutely it does. And, and indeed, one final question, just in regards to what do you think, how do I say this? What do you think about the political parties, Labor and Liberal? Do you think they're the same or different? Look, there are there are small differences. Um, I mean, the fact is that uh, the Labor Party says that it will give uh, permanent visas to people who uh, are now condemned to temporary uh, protection visas or the you know, safe haven uh, visas in you know in Australia. That's a it's not an unimportant difference uh, to, to you know to vote Labor rather than Liberal. Uh, unfortunately, not worse than unfortunately, I mean, shamefully, you know, the Labor Party maintains you know offshore processing and offshore offshore detention arrangements uh, as Part of uh, part of their policy, and they sh- they say that's not going to change. It was Labor's, Labor's policy which sent you know people to Manus Island and to, to to Nauru in the first place. Labor says now that it will get everybody off Manus Island and Nauru. Uh, they won't say they will bring them to Australia, um, and that's uh, that's something which you know the movement I think uh, in in Australia you know will have to continue to push the Labor. So I mean, there's very good reasons to get rid of the the Liberal government, um, but uh, people shouldn't. Uh, keep themselves that simply electing a Labor government is going to rectify all those problems. We'd certainly like to see Labor coming out much more forcefully uh, to say, you know, that if, even if even they're willing to say in the first instance, you know, that the sick people who need who need medical help need to be brought to Australia immediately. That would be an important an important break. But of course, the fundamental problem is that people are on Manus Island and Nauru. We need everybody off Manus Island and Nauru and brought to Australia where they can get the medical treatment the care and the, and the safety that they need. Ian, thank you so much for coming on to the program. Not at all. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. Keep up the good Thanks. work. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Ian from the Refugee Coalition in New South Wales speaking about some very, very detrimental issues in regards to health with um, people on Manus Island and how they have been basically deprived of uh, of treatment. It's approximately 4.46 and I wanted to draw attention to a couple of very important events that are coming up. I wanted to talk about an event that's coming up next Wednesday, the 26th of September, and I'll just read out the communique. On the 26th of September 2007, 19-year-old Liep Goni was beaten to death by um, a couple of white teenagers following a political scare campaign targeting African Australians that was hauntingly familiar to what we're seeing now. This year marks the 11th anniversary of Liep's death. Please come and show your support for his family and the entire African Australian community. Where? 
The Steps of Victorian Parliament, Spring Street, CBD. What? Led by African-Australian choirs, we will sing together. We will hear speeches from family members and lay flowers and other commemorative items on the stairs of Parliament. You are invited to bring an item that reminds you of someone you have lost as a way of demonstrating the shared human experiences of grief, love and hope that bind us together. When? September the 26th, 12.30pm. And basically, this young man was known for his immense generosity, his kind and peaceful nature, and his love for basketball. A role model to his younger siblings and cousins, Liep went above and beyond to help family. He was a peacemaker, often praised by teachers and sports coaches, for his role in persuading other kids to avoid conflict. Having lived in a refugee camp when young, he knew firsthand about how tough life is for so many, and counted himself lucky. After his death, his mother discovered that throughout his time at high school, he had been quietly sending off some of the pocket money he earned from odd jobs to a little girl he sponsored through World Vision. He was deeply loved by his family and community. Everyone felt the pain of his death. But this is not the leap that the media or politicians wanted us to know about. The political context at the time of Liep's murder was similar to the political context in 2018. Prominent politicians and the media had been racialising crime and connecting it to African migrants. Following his murder, Goni's death was politicised by the federal government and blamed on the African community rather than the two white men who had beaten him. Liep's death shows the devastating consequences that these self-interested political games have on the real lives of the people targeted. After over a decade of grieving for their loss, the Goni family have been heartbroken to see the same thing happening again, with tailboys and politicians whipping up fear by singling out one group in the community and telling everyone else to fear them. They do not want another family to go through what they've been through and they are ready to speak out. So please come to join us on September 26th to show the Goni family and the whole African-Australian community that we will not allow cheap political rhetoric to divide us. This is not about blaming individuals, but about how we move forward. Come to show that we, the Victorian community, stand as one, that we say never again to the violence that killed Liep. And the Federation of Community Legal Centres um, is posting this event or has posted this event on behalf of Liep's family. Sadly, family members have previously been targeted by abusive trolls. We will be monitoring this event and reporting any threatening commentary to Victoria Police. And this event, as, as I said, starts at 12.30pm, Wednesday the 26th of September, and the communique that I just read out was from the Federation of Community Legal Centres, who I have been trying to get in touch with. And indeed, I've spoken to a couple of other colleagues who um, were telling me today that that basically the magistrate um, at Liep's murder um, feel, felt that the crime was not a hate crime. It's approximately 4.50 and you're listening to the Doin' Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And I wanted to thank um, our guests for being interviewed. Thank you to Lydia from Victoria and Ian from New South Wales. And just before I go, 
um, and we go through our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella, by the Rumpy Band, I wanted to just remind listeners um, about another really important event, and it was it was an interview that I did last week with Lucy Honan from the Refugee Action Collective. And Lucy was talking about um, a Vietnamese woman, Huen, and a public meeting that is going to be to be happening here um, at Footscray. And I'll just read that out very quickly in case listeners missed out last time. Don't deport Huen. And it's hosted by the Refugee Action Collective. And the meeting is on Saturday, September the 22nd at 2pm to 5pm. And it's at Footscray Community Arts Centre, 45 Moreland Street, Footscray, Victoria, Australia. And the speakers include Paul Lee, Huen's husband, Isabella's father, Hung Trung, who is the Greens MLC of Western Melbourne, and Vietnamese asylum seeker Huen is facing deportation and indefinite separation from her baby Isabella and husband Paul. Huen is now in Meta Detention Centre with her daughter and there are no legal barriers to her deportation. Her husband Paul, Isabella's father, must submit to drug tests, metal detectors and notoriously elaborate application forms to visit them after work each day. Isabella has inherited her father's 457 visa status. He is Mauritius Chinese and if she is deported, Huen would be indefinitely separated from her daughter and husband. Catholic asylum seekers who were returned to Vietnam from Indonesia last year were harassed, arrested and threatened with imprisonment. Government-led and government-sanctioned land confiscations, church burnings, violence and threats of torture continue against Catholics and other religious minorities in Vietnam. The UNHCR has just condemned Australia for separating a Sri Lankan refugee family where the father was deported leaving the mother an 11-month-old baby in Sydney. Minister for Home Affairs Peter Dutton has the power to grant her permanent protection so that she and Isabella are immediately released from detention and safely reunited in the community. Come to the public meeting to discuss how we can apply maximum pressure on Peter Dutton to win safety and freedom for Huren and all refugees facing detention and deportation. So as we, Lucy and I were saying last week, you know, rather than... Uh, keeping nannies and uh, others uh, of relatives of people here that are nannies and stuff like that, um, why isn't the Liberal government helping to keep families together? It's approximately 4.54 and we're nearing the end of our show. So hopefully um, people, um, listeners can turn up to these two events Um do see if you can if you can turn up um, next Wednesday because because the family really does need um, a lot of support there and yeah so so pretty soon I'll be going into an announcement and then saying goodbye and um, going out with our theme song we've got Beyond Zero coming up next so yeah I'll just put on an announcement for now. 
In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just $30. You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. On sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. CR is in the running to receive nearly $100,000 to help us retrofit our station for greater accessibility. That means better handrails, doors, taps, ramps. And more to provide improved access for everyone. But we need your support. Do you live within 5 kilometres of the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy? If you do, you're eligible to vote for us. Our project is part of the Victorian State Government's Pick My Project scheme. And you can jump online and vote for 3CR's Community Radio Accessibility Project by going to 3cr.org.au. It's only with your vote that we can receive this important funding to make our station more accessible. And you're back with the Doing Time show. So it's goodbye from Marissa. See you next week at the same time, every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time show. And we'll be going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella from the Rumpy Band. Take care of each other and stay strong. See you next week.